listeners, this is PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon, and this is the final PSG Small Talk of 2018 for Saturday, December 22nd, 2018. So, 2018 in Paris Saint-Germain world is officially over. They have beaten FC Nantes 1-0 at the Parc des Princes on a Kylian Mbappe goal off of a set-piece corner kick by Angel Di Maria. Um, I'll be really quick on this. Um, Nantes were very good. They were very good defensively. They came in to try to nick a 1-0 win or a draw. And PSG had to work for their goal. They missed a bunch of chances. But you know what? It's the end of the year. I think all of them want to go home to their families and enjoy the holidays, get a little bit of rest, and come back ready and ready to play in January. So... For me, it wasn't really a matter of how they played. It's a matter of that they got the win. And they did get the win. And just to give some kudos out, good game from Julian Draxler. Very good game from Julian Draxler. And Marco Verratti kept things going. I thought it was a good midfield game for them. Um, it's a good mid, It's a good league on midfield. I don't think Tuchel wants to go with that in Champions League games, but... For, for these kind of games where these teams are going to park the bus, Draxler's a really good fit for that. So, I, I again, I've, I've always been a fan of Draxler. I think I think he's very helpful in these types of situations, and he proved it today. Um, this show will mainly be, besides me just doing this small little introduction, a conversation that me, Jean Olangi, and Eduardo Razo had. Um, we started it 30 minutes before kickoff, and it went into the first half and went through the first half. So you'll hear a sort of interspersing kind of live commentary of the game as we go along. Uh, pay no, you know, it, it, it I, may have been stepped over some words at times, but I think we pretty much got our points across. For the most part, it was a 2018 recap pretty much from August on. We talked about the League Un campaign. We talked about the Champions League campaign. We recapped who we thought was really good this year so far, who we thought has been a disappointment. We talked about the January transfer window in detail, Ariola's extension, and Adjun Rabio's bye-bye. So, we cover a lot of ground. It's a PSG small talk Christmas extravaganza, and it's going to start right after I make these plugs. Make sure to follow PSG Talk on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Subscribe to our podcast, PSG Talking and PSG Small Talk. Be on the lookout for specials coming up in the coming months. Um, Visit our website for articles and analysis at psgtalk.com. And while you're there, check out our Patreon page and consider contributing to us little online bloggers who hold the torch and mantle for Paris Saint-Germain in English. So, now we can start the show. So everyone saw the lineup for today, right? What do you guys think? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's good. I mean, no name R. They should win still either way, but I mean, did you see those? I think I saw the tweet you tweeted out. I think, uh, I don't know who it was trying to stir some controversy because Neymar left early for Christmas. His name is Matt Spiro. Yeah, that, that was a... Who does he work for? I don't I think know. He, I, I, I don't know. He was just, he was reaching, like, I mean, level, he was reaching, reaching, reaching. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the lineup's still good. They should still win, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm just looking at it now. Um, it looks, yeah, I mean, they, they should, and Knotts is pretty good, uh, but, you know, they're a pretty uh, formidable opponent. But I feel like, you know, uh, 
Silva maybe could use some rest. Uh, Bernard could use some rest. Uh, but, you know. Any issues playing Di Maria three days after an ankle injury when you have Musa Diaby on the bench? Uh, um, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, Di Maria's in his 30s already, so it's, I would have liked to see Diaby just, you know, you know, just don't, you know, don't further any injuries and, and just give the kids, you know, a chance to play. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess if they're going to play him in this game, he's probably fine, but still, it's like, I don't know. I feel like they want to, I, I, I'm happy in the sense that Tuchel feels like he has to really go after this game and win it. Yeah. But also, it's like, I think Diaby, if there's a game you're going to start him in, I think this could have been a good game to sort of test him as, as a, that's in that starting wing position, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to complain too much either way. Yeah. Yeah, but that was going to be my point tonight. I feel like the the, the, the matches that we feel like um, uh, Tuchel should be resting some players, like he's put out like a strong lineup, even in the cut match of last week. Like, it was, a, it was you know, for the most part, a strong lineup, so... Uh, you know, maybe he's taking league in that serious where he's not trying to let off uh, on the gas pedal. But, you know, some of these guys can use some rest. And some of those young guys certainly could use some play time. Like, and Soki could play today instead of, uh, you know, Marquinhos, Soki Pembe, and Thiago Silva, and Bernat. You know, maybe Bernat start. Maybe give Levin Krizawa some run today. I would like to see that. So I, I don't know. I don't know if they think he's even fit. At this point, they, he did get a, a few minutes in one of the games a couple weeks ago, but like, are, are they even sure like he's fit enough to play a full, even a full like 60 to 65 minutes? Who, Kazawa? Yeah. Are they, do they think he's fit enough to do that? Cause they, it, you would think that he would have gotten enough time by now where he would have played a game for, you know, at least a half or something. Yeah, it's strange because the, you know, from what we saw, it seemed like him and Alves came back to practice at the same time. And, yeah. And only Alves has played thus far. So, you know, who knows? With Kozawa, those injuries are always seem like a mystery where it's like out of all of a sudden he's injured. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if this 3-4-3 has sort of even edged him out even more because now you have not you can play on that wing. You have uh, Insoki's played on that wing. Diaby's played on that wing. So it's not all that imperative to have him out there, Eddie. Like, yeah, no, like, like, like he's coming from a back injury, and and we all know back injuries are very tricky. You know, he, they, you know, from what I, from what I've, or you know, from what I've been told, you know, the back, it's the. As a delicate injury to come back from, you know, maybe rehabbing, they were able to find out, hey, you know, he's not ready, ready to for live game action. Um, but we'll see. Uh, you know, there's I've seen, you know, give or take transfer rumors. Uh, but we'll... Yeah, he's not even on the bench, so yeah, we won't see him today. Yeah, uh, what's the John? You have it in front of you. What's the bench look like? So the bench, uh, we have, uh, Kevin Romane, Donny Alves, Tilo Kara, um, Sopo Moting, Diaby, and Sebastian Seboise. Seboise. Which yes. means that Alfonso Ariola is decent, has, is injured enough where they're not even gonna put him on the bench. Gonna play him, yeah. So. Um, alright, let's, 
let's talk about January a little bit, because there's been a bunch of, room, we'll call them rumor and innuendo about potential January targets. Um, I, I put up a tweet in the last 48 hours. It's been uh, Idris Gouye, I think is how you pronounce that. Um, the kid from RB Leipzig, trying to get his that name. Julian Weigel has reappeared on the in the PSG transfer rumors, and um, for some reason Alan came up. I think that was more on the Italian side so that he could get a contract extension of some kind. But still, the name came up. Um, any of these things seem like they make sense? Is it just subterfuge at this point, or is there any sort of uh, anything to any of this? Uh, and by the uh, way, the I, player we're, we're locking at is Samaseku from ooh. RB Leipzig. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, it just depends on how much are they willing to spend. I mean, I've read anywhere that they're willing to spend maybe 20 million euros to 30 million euros. And I kind of think that's, that's the neighborhood that they're looking to spend in. They're not going to go crazy. Um, to me, I would like to go... Weigel would be my first option just because he knows to go in these players under his system. And, you know, they lowered their price as well. I think they only said they want 20... I think they read a loan. And then uh, in the summer, 20 million euros. I mean, I think over or last summer they were asking for like 50 million euros even though he wasn't playing that much. And he just didn't fit their system anymore. So I think, um, I think I'd go with him number one. Um, and then go with... Uh, Paredes, number two. Those are like my, my, you know, my two, two dream, I guess, scenarios. And then, uh, the, the guy from Everton, he, I've, I've done my research on him. He's pretty good. He's really good. Um, he's very, he's a physical, you know, he's your prototypical defensive midfielder. And, uh, the only problem I have is that he's 29 and he's probably going to be a short term fix. Um, but it just depends what are they looking for. Are they looking for a short-term answer or a long-term answer? Yeah, and also add to that list, you said Paredes, um, add a, um, who was the other one? I definitely add Paredes to that list of potentials. Um, Fabinho was talked about as they may at least, you know, entertain the, the possibility of asking Liverpool if they would loan him out. But right now you're looking at it, uh, like a 7-8, person shortlist of potential midfield targets in January. And I've always been of the philosophy that don't go crazy unless you're going to get a guy that you know is going to start for you. And I don't see any of those guys, maybe Paredes, but that would probably be it, walking into this team and possibly starting in a Champions League. Right now it seems like Tuchel has settled into Verratti, Marquinhos, and Draxler as his three sort of midfielders in that sort of midfield two he's created. And unless you're going to get a guy that's going to, I guess, replace Marquinhos and move Marquinhos back into the uh, into the back line, do you really want to go crazy over guys like Guye or Samaseku? It's an interesting spot to be in, John, and I think that they do need players. They can't go into the, the the sort of fixture list that they have in the next three months, which is really 
extensive and grueling without having some backup in that midfield. But I guess the question is how how many players do you think they need to bring in here in that midfield, John? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it comes down to Tuchel and, you know, what, what he feels is necessary in terms of um, in the terms of the way you look at the, the current midfield situation where we've been clamoring and asking for a uh, defensive mid for years, but like, do you think Tuchel, you know, I would ask, I would ask, like, do you think Tuchel is comfortable, is, is comfortable enough going through, uh, the, the Champions League, uh, knockout stages with Marquinhos, who seems to be every, every match he's, he's getting more and more comfortable in that position. So again, like the point that you bring up about, do you want to do a, a long-term fix or a short-term fix, right? Like some of these guys, like a loan for Fabinho is a short-term fix because even if Liverpool were to loan him out, they would probably want him back even though they're not really using him, which is another story within its own. Uh, and some of the other guys, Paredes and these other names that everybody's bringing up, these are long-term fixes. And when they do come in, are you going to, like you said, are you going to move Marquinhos back into the center back position and plug one of these guys? And so, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of names. And this is one of the things that I find annoying about the transfer window is, is there's a lot of speculation and, and a lot of things that surround the, 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 the root of the situation. But at the end of the day, it comes down to what the manager uh, needs for for the team, and then we're dealing with FFP as well, which sort of limits us with the, the with the players that we can uh, buy. So it's it, it's a tough situation. Uh, I think if, if we look at the eleven positions on the field, I would say we could use reinforcement on the in the midfield, which is clear. You know, that's not you're not really saying anything there. But it's about narrowing down who and how much they cost, and if the team is willing to do a transfer with PSG. Yeah, I think you, and I think you need to simply for the two reasons of, as I said, the, the fixture schedule, which is going to be really, if they stay in these domestic cups, you're you're getting two games a week pretty much for the next twelve weeks. Uh-huh. And the other reason is you you've lost Adrian Rabio; he's no longer a factor here. And Lasana Diara has not played since August, and it's pretty clear that Tuchel's not going to put him in a game. So, at some point, you need to replace both of those guys. And you have to, either with a loan reinforcement, or just get a body in there, so that if you start getting some injuries in that, in that area, you could at least have guys to play the games. And you don't have to force guys out there because you're limited in number. But, Eddie, let's, let's talk practically. You talk about Vigil yeah. and Paredes. Would you be, and, and I think a guy like Samaseko is not a bad, that's not a bad signing. It's a very sort of yeah. PSG kind of signing in that he's a younger, newer PSG signing. He's yeah. a younger guy. Physically, he just has that Blaise Matuidi kind of look to him, long strides, can challenge, he can make some plays. I and mean, when I watch the comps, I'm not looking to see if the guy's the next, you know, N'Golo Conte, but he's an athlete, he's a decent enough passer, he fills that, he somewhat fills that Matuidi role that we've been missing. I, I, I think, like, that's a move that you could do, it's not a high-profile one, but it gives you a guy that can run in these league gun games, and I think PSG have missed that. 
And if they, if he can kind of like, you know, if he can, if he can kind of duplicate a little bit what he was doing, like what Blaze McQueedy was doing for them in these league gun fixtures, I think that would be a good signing for them. Yeah, um, like you said, this, this is a new, I think they're transitioning from overspending or just dropping a large sum of money on a certain player. I think they'll, they'll shop smart. Um, now, now I see them more grabbing a young player before he's fully developed. Like we saw with Tilo Carrer. Um, yeah. they did drop, you know, 35 million for him, but now we see him more and more and, and it's starting to look like a bargain. And I think that that's the direction they're starting to move towards. So it would be, it would be a solid bargain, you know, buy for them. But, um, like you said, they need midfield depth. I, I, I think I read that they're trying to add at least two midfielders this, uh, January window. But, uh, we'll just see how they go about it. How, what's their budget? If they're going to go with a loan option, which if they're going to go for two midfields, I believe they're going to have to get, uh, one on a loan. Yeah. I think Vigel's a, a, a possibility, but Vigel's not. I don't see us starting Vigel in a Champions League game. Like he he seems like a guy that needs to get his footing back, and I think him getting Lee Gun games on loan with the purchase option isn't a bad idea in theory. Although I don't know if Dortmund's quite ready to give up on him yet. But as I said, Samaseko works and. If you can get that, and you can get one more guy maybe we're not thinking of as a loan of some kind, you'll at least get some depth in that midfield, and you can yeah. rest some guys down the stretch, which is really what you want, because this is a this is as good a year for them to make that Champions League run as any. So what you don't want to have is it be March and April, and you have these Champions League fixtures coming up, and you got guys like Marco Verratti, Nursing hamstrings or quads or calves. Are you red or yellow cards? <laughs> yeah, yeah ex- exactly. Which is always a possibility yeah. with those guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, John, anything on the midfield? Anything you any want to add? Any targets that we might not be talking about? Or, or do we uh, no, not. Yeah, I think I think y'all pretty much covered it. And then Eddie has done exceptionally an exceptional job with uh, with all of his pieces that he's put up about the looking at looking at the players from their productivity in the leagues they play in and how much they cost and dealing with FFP. So I think that's y'all pretty much uh, wrap that one up. All right, um, let's get some more news in before the game. Right now we're about 13 minutes before kickoff. Um, Alphonse Ariola extends his contract till 2023. His contract was set to expire um, at the end of the year, at the end of the at the end of the year, June thirtieth, two thousand nineteen. He is now signed on for four years after that. Um, initial thoughts on us essentially securing our goalie of the future. Uh, go ahead, John. Yeah, I think well, like if if the Arabio situation wasn't like. In the air right now, I think we would all look at this as PSG pretty much, you know, pretty much saying, saying to, uh, to Ariola that we trust you and we've liked what we've seen from you over the past couple of years within his, uh, his progression and are willing to, to, you know, to invest in him and he could be possibly our number one guy uh, in the future, in which I don't see a problem with at all. 
but it, it, it it's just the timing of the of the move from from me. It didn't seem shady or or like iffy or anything, but I could understand why outsiders could look at that as all right. So they're trying to make it seem, you know, they're trying to pretty much push Radio's buttons and 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 and, and uh, create a narrative that. They do support their youth system and all this, in which they do. They, they've absolutely done it up to the radio situation. So my point is pretty much that I like the move. I think Ariola is, is an excellent, excellent goalkeeper, and he, he's young. He still has time to get better. And I, I absolutely love the fact that he's, um, he's training every day with uh, one of the legends uh, in Gigi Buffon. But I think it's just um, the, the timing of it in the Rabio situation makes people wonder, do they do this because of that? Or were they? is this really what they wanted to do the entire time? Eddie? Yeah. Uh, oh, I love it. Uh, Ariola's last year, I think he proved himself that he's able to man the net for them. I think, you know, over the two legs against Real Madrid, I thought he was arguably the best player in both, in both those legs. And now that he gets to learn behind... You know, uh, Buffon, to me, is a character. Uh, any other goalkeeper would have maybe thrown a fit or, or you know, just, you know, he, he thought maybe he's the number one guy and, you know, here's the club bringing in Buffon, who's a legend. But, you know, as we've seen with Rabio, I think that it's, I, for my taste, it's I've gotten used to seeing, you know, spoiled, spoiled kids. And so just to see Ariola welcome, you know, Buffon and willing to learn under him, that's, you know, a testament to his character, and I think, you know, he's going to learn a lot under him. I, I like when he plays. I'm usually a little timid in Champions League games. He hasn't, I mean, that two legs against Real kind of secured it for me, but I'm still, he still has a habit of, you know, wandering out of the, out of the, out of the area or, or, or still, but I think it's just going to come with time, and I think he's the, the right choice for the future. Yeah, I think, well, it's a couple things on this. I think it's clear that for this year, Gianluigi Buffon should be the goalkeeper in these Champions League games. Like, I think we can agree on that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah. And it's not like Ariola hasn't gotten a significant amount of games. Like, he's playing a bunch. Like, it's not like Buffon is getting 70% of the games. I think Ariola's probably getting the majority of the games so far. So, in a certain way, he's the number one in Liga and in the cup matches. But Buffon, in that experience, in that wherewithal, in that passion, in that leadership, you just need it right now. And the hope is that eventually he transfers that to Alphonse Ariola, and for the next ten years or so, Ariola can be that guy. And that would, and again, that's sort of the plan. And it's happy. I'm happy to see Ariola sort of stick with it. Although I will say that the clubs he was linked to when he was still sort of looking around, weren't exactly sort of the top flight of Europe. Like, you look at the market, and you look at the goalies that the European top European clubs have. United have Ederson, not Ederson, United have De Gea, City have Ederson, Liverpool have Alisson, Spain, in Spain, Barcelona have Ter Stegen. I can keep going and going, but you look at the any club that would be seen as a upgrade, quote-unquote, for Ariola right now has no issue in goal. Yeah. So he would have to either make a lateral move, which there aren't that many to make, or he would have to go down 
into a club like Newcastle or a club of that nature to get consistent minutes. And at that point, why would you go to a club where you're going to be there for three, four years, possibly going down to the championship, or in Italy, like a club like... He was linked with a couple of Italian clubs, I think, at some point. Yeah. Wasn't he linked with Napoli at some point? Yeah, Napoli yeah. was definitely one of them. Yep. Yeah, so it would have been more a lateral move for him. But I think I think it's a smart decision, sentimentally, but also for his career, because he's going to make a bunch of money. He's going to be the number one, fairly number one goalkeeper. And he gets to live in his home city, all that stuff. I think it's a good move for him. Like, I think it works for all parties involved. Speaking of not working for all parties involved, let's get our Adrian Rabio talk out of the way before the game starts. Um, <laughs> it's been dis- it's been a disappointing year, and I'm saying that in the most kind way possible. Um, he had a good first couple months. He was trying. He was trying to get his team to the quarterfinals, but PSG just weren't built to beat that Real Madrid team. And he just sort of quit. Like, the last three months, he just sort of took the pedal off and didn't really seem like he was putting in the effort. And he gets snubbed from the World Cup team. He throws a fit, gets himself off the reserves, comes back, looks like he's at least maybe attempting to, like, integrate himself back, but it was all just sort of a big fat ruse. And now the guy is going to be sitting on the bench for five months, and eventually he'll get his move to wherever he wants to get his move, I guess. It's just... I, I'm at a point where I don't miss him. I, he's not endeared himself in any way. It's not like you're losing a member of the family or anything. It's like... You just... You feel nothing for him, nothing, not that much to him. Like, I'm not even that mad. Like, I, I can kind of pretend like I'm mad a little bit, just kind of for the joke. But I'm not even, like, that upset. It's just, it's kind of pathetic, I think. Eddie, I don't know if you feel that way. I just kind of feel it's pathetic. Kind yeah, of ending no, I, for him. I mean, the club bent over backwards for him. Like, we've seen, they got rid of Blaise Matuidi because they wanted to give Adrian Rabiot more playing time. And they've accommodated every hissy fit that he's thrown. Four years ago, he, he, uh, you know, went down to the last year of his deal. And, it, and you know, he was linked to, was it Roma? And then another year later, he was linked to Arsenal. So it's like the club has bent, like I said, the club's bent, you know, backwards for him for him to stay because uh you know Nasser believes you know he, he believes in him like you know he said that he wants he saw him as a future captain of this of this club and so I, I feel like it's just a, a, a spit in the face like he spat in the club's face because like they did everything they could to accommodate you and then if this guy actually cared about the club or anything like that, he would have given them a heads up in the spring and said, you know what, here, uh, I would like to move on, you know, sell me in the summer so you can get something for me instead. Like you said, he, once, uh, the world, once he knew he wasn't going to the World Cup, he just threw a fit and, and, when he came back, it looked like things were cooling off and things were, and contract negotiations were again coming up again. And now we just know that 
he just had his sights on leaving and I don't know, it's just I'm glad it's over though. It's just it's just something that's been dragging on and on and on for a number of years. He's been linked to other clubs and it's just okay, it's finally over. Yeah, and you don't have to stay at a club if you don't want to. Like I don't you know, I think there are certain situations in every situation is different. Like Marco Verratti, when he had his situation, he just signed a new deal to bring him to like twenty twenty two or something. It's like, dude, you just we just extended you three, four times in the last three, four years. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> it's, it's different in that situation, I think. Yeah, yeah. And Neymar coming to PSG, I don't think he was duplicitous about it. I just think he knew what he had to do to get out of that deal, and it wasn't sort of a transactional thing. Like, I, I, I don't think he owed Barcelona anything. And I don't really think that Adrian Rabiot owes PSG anything except for honesty. Like, there, there, there just comes a moment where I just think, if you know you're going to leave a club that gave you every opportunity possible to succeed, maybe it didn't work out the way you wanted it to, whatever. That's your right as an adult and as a professional. But there's just been this constant sort of subterfuge and smoke screen and all this stuff around it, John, that he was he was never sincere or honest. And that's where I just get frustrated because it's like you don't have to lie. You don't have to say, oh, I'm going to sign this. Oh, I'm going to sign this. You can talk to people and have conversations and you can lay out issues. I just, I don't feel like he, him or his mother were really honest in any of this. As we're about to start this game. Uh, John, just close out on Rabio, because I'm done talking about him, quite honestly. <laughs> Likewise. But yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's, uh, from from what I've been reading, it's, it's it seems as if the problem that Enrique and Nasser and, and PSG and the board had, had a problem with is what is that during the contract and the negotiations, he was entertaining these other teams, the Barca, Tottenham, or whoever. And then uh, another report came out where it seemed like the decision after the OM match where him and Mbappe came late, after that match where he was benched, that's when they decided, like, nah, we're not staying. So, you know, I, I get it, whatever. But Can prior I just say to that, that I don't buy that for a second? Yeah, I don't either. I, I think I, that's that's my point. He had, I feel his, like he had his sights on moving since March. Before I, that, exactly. I fully believe that. Yeah, so it's 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 like like the point that you bring up where honesty and transparency, where the club has done all of this for you, put you in positions to play for one of the biggest clubs, and, and like Eddie pointed out, we sold one of our better players who's flourishing at, at Juve, by the way. And to, to put you in the position to do that, and this is how you repay him. So it, it, it leaves a bad taste in everyone's mouth. And for me, like I was done, I was done with them during the World Cup situation because he's, it seems like he's been getting bad advice this whole time, whether it be from his mom or whoever. <laughs> it's like the letter that he wrote for the World Cup when he decided to not be in the reserves. He said, "I've been working my entire life." to have the opportunity to, to be to play for France in the World Cup. I'm like, well, so has Benjamin Mendy and so has Paul Pogba and, and Gola Kante and all of these guys. Like, you're not the only one. So it, it's like, why, why do you feel you're so privileged to 
to, 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 to be in such a position. And it's not like you had the greatest season last year either. So, and then they went ahead and won the World Cup without you. So they didn't really need you. So it's just like the, the, the device he's getting, the decisions he's getting, whether it be him or his mom or whoever, it's, it's, it leaves a bad taste in everybody's mouth. And like, I'm, I'm with you guys. I'm glad it's over. If he goes to Barca, where they already have a, yeah. uh, a, a big, uh, you know, um, a clustered midfield, then do your thing, man. Enjoy your time. I guess, yeah. And I, I, I kind of just want to close it on that because it's just, it's just, it's a pain in the ass to talk about at this point. Yeah. As we just started the game, you guys are watching, right? Yeah. Yeah, we just kicked off. Perfect. I'm at forty. I'm at the forty-fifth second. Are you guys behind me or? I'm a little bit behind you. They just kicked off right now. I'm at thirty-seven. All right, so I will yeah. try not to spoil anything, but I probably <laughs> will. Oh, um, all right, so we might have a couple of those going on. Um, all right, let's talk about this season as a whole. Um, so far, PSG have played 16 league on games. They're playing their 17th right now. They will finish at 17 games. They'll have to make those other two up later in the year. Um, right now, they are on 14 wins with two draws. Um, how would you, Eddie, sum up their league on season so far? Uh, I want to say dominant, but the last two games have kind of like left a little sour taste in my mouth, but I'm still going to go with dominant. Uh, like Tuchel, I think at his press conference, I think when he just got hired, he said that he was going to take these league on, league on games and cup games serious. Like he wasn't just going to, you know, he, he didn't have that, Entitlement that oh well we'll win these let's just worry about Champions League no he's taking them seriously and you know we see Neymar and like right now we're seeing Mbappe and Di Maria in these games that you know maybe we can give them a rest but no Tuchel's taking them seriously and overall I mean he was dealt a tough a tough deck you know he had players coming back from the World Cup Cavani had an injury at the World Cup. And, you know, he integrated, he was integrating youth, a new system, and yet they were still able to dominate, you know, League One. So yeah. with all those variables going on, they were still dominant and they weren't letting up and they were still, they're still, you know, they're the, they're the crown jewel of French football. And, and despite all that that was going on that people will not notice that don't follow PSG, that he had all, you know, he was implementing new players, players come back from World Cup, new systems. You know, PSG kept on rolling in League 1. Do you think that, John, do you think that this um, 14 and 2 draws is a bit deceptive? They've had some difficult games in this league. They, the game against Nîmes on the road, I think I can bring to mind. The game yeah. against Toulouse, they only won 1-0. I, I think they, for the most part, have taken care of business in the league, but there have been some games where, especially in first halves, where they've struggled. And they've had to sort of wear down these opponents as opposed to sort of blitzing them out of the gate. And you compare that to what they've done in some of the Champions League games, it's looked like they've been able to come out with some intensity. It seems like these League One games, it sort of takes them a while to build into the game, and it allows a team like a Nantes or a Toulouse or a Rennes to kind of stay with them and fight. So do you think League One-wise that they're, reaching sort of the full potential or is it just sort of they're playing at B, B plus and getting through with the yeah. pure skill and talent? 
Yeah, I think you know it, it depends on you who you ask. Like, like you if, if you talk to you know people who watch the team from a day to day basis, uh, you can clearly see the progression even in the league uh, where they usually dominate. Where uh, the the narrative of the entire season, not just in league and also in Champions League, is they have had to struggle, and they've had to struggle against the weaker opponents and obviously the stronger opponents. And I, I do think that the record can be a little, um, you know, a little um, misguided in terms of how you look at it, where you might think, oh, they're just running through the league. And that's where the whole Farmers League yeah. <laughs> narrative kind of takes its own shape. And, and I understand that if you're looking from the outside, uh, you're looking from the outside. But, yes, we definitely, like you bring up that that uh, Neem match, Toulouse, uh, Lille, some of those games, we ended up winning and the, the, the scoreline looks like we obliterated them. But we, those goals usually came in like the 60th minute or 70, 80, like later down the match. Yeah. They've had to struggle and, 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 uh, you know, you look at the, the, the Lake Classic match where it, it was, it was kind of close. And then when Kylian Mbappe came in in the 60th minute, that's when things changed. So this team has, has struggled a lot this year, man. And I, I, I think, um, it's, it's, um, it's going to pay off in the long run, and maybe we'll talk about the Champions League later. I think the reason we're here right now, we're winning the Champions League group, is just because of how we've had to struggle in the in the, in the first uh, couple of uh, match days. Yeah, because it still feels like there's a lot of tinkering going on with this club, and Tuchel hasn't quite gotten it, but he's getting closer and closer. Yeah. Like I think we've gotten yeah. to the point where they have their eleven. Like, I don't think he knew what his 11 was at the beginning of the year, but I think he knows his 11 now. Neymar, Cavani, Mbappe, Di Maria, Verratti, Marquinhos, Bernat, Silva, Kimpembe, and Kerr, and with Buffon and goal. I think that's pretty much the 11. PSG are going to get a free kick here. They take a trick. Um, Eddie, do you think that, you think that this, like, just the competition you've seen in Liga on this year. Do you think it's giving ESG a test, and if so, how? Uh, yeah, I think I think we're seeing that clubs... I think we saw that U.S. Orleans game. I mean, a league does side gave PSG a fight. Um, they weren't backing down. They weren't shell-shocked. So I think they're understanding that, that these aren't going to be cakewalks anymore. And so I think they under, they go with that understanding in Champions League games that they they don't have to put in a next amount of energy early on. They they know that they can go they can you know mature as the game develops. And I, and I think that's what they've done in league in league on like you guys said. They 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 don't attack. They don't uh, bombard a team. In the first 15 minutes, so let it mature. I think Tuchel figured, likes to figure out what's working, what's not working, and then make you know adjustments either at the time or in game. And then that's when you see PSG start to pull away, and that's what we've seen. You know, especially that Liverpool game comes to mind, and yeah. and I think that's what it's helping them. Just um, I think they're getting everybody's biggest hit in league on, and and they're. They're struggling. It sometimes isn't pretty, but they find a way to get it done, and that's what we've seen translate to to the Champions League. It won't be pretty, but you know, like these last two games, they got it done somehow. 
Yeah, and I'm going to argue against myself for a minute. I do think the lack of sort of a true kind of midfield is kind of hurting them in League One a bit because they're not sort of getting the quality of ball possession that you'd like them to get. So it's putting them in positions where they have to sort of be very precise in certain situations. I mean, you're watching the game right now. They're not necessarily they're trying to move the ball quickly, but you feel like people are starting to run into each other. There isn't quite a rhythm to it. And I think that rhythm sort of del- starts to come as the game goes because they're just sort of feeling each other out. And it's allowing a team like Nantes to sort of sit back, a couple heavy touches here and there. And, John, um, let's start going into the Champions League then. So PSG, in August, draw the group of death. They draw Liverpool, the, um, the I guess, the, co- the, the runners-up. A very good side in Napoli that took Juventus to the limit last year in Serie A. And a Red Star Belgrade team that has a tough uh, road, a tough environment to play in. But, you know, it's still not a great team, but they have, at least they have that home field advantage. So, when they lost at Anfield, 3-2, how worried were you? I'm going to ask kind of two questions here. How worried were you on a scale of 1-10 to 10 if they were going to get through this group? And how do you think they were able to sort of evolve in the Champions League from week from match day one to match day six? Yeah, after the first match, I was probably at like a six or seven, like in terms of like, all right, we're we're probably in trouble. Even though it might have been in the heat of the moment, and you know, you're not really looking at the bigger picture that it's our first Champions League match. This is Tuka's first Champions League match, um, uh, managing PSG and all that stuff. But for me, it was really I really wanted to see how Napoli would have done, right? And 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 then once I saw. Napoli play Liverpool, and, and and then when we ended up playing them, those two matches, that's when I was a little worried. Like, that's when it went to maybe a 9 or a 10. But I think if you look at the matches, right, none of them we've been blown out. There haven't been a, there hasn't been a Barca situation or Real Madrid situation where the, the opposing team is just clearly playing better than us. The, the Liverpool match, like, we could have won that game, like, if Draxler, you know, makes a different touch, or we could have went out there, out of there with a draw if, if Firmino doesn't make a wonderful goal. And then you look at the Napoli match where the, the, the first match we played them, that's why I think maybe we didn't play our best. But even then, you saw that it was a it was a gradual uh, progression in each match where we're getting better, and then the Napoli matches really tested us in terms of where we're going to be. And these are the type of these are the type of teams that we're going to play in the um, in the knockout stages. So, and then when we played Liverpool at at the Parc des Princes, the 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 lessons they learned from from uh, the, those two Napoli matches and the first Liverpool matches, Juan Bernat, that mistake he made, right? Uh, Thiago Silva, the mistake he made, those things, they cleaned it all up at, in the Liverpool match. And I think that kind of speaks to where they are. And then uh, when we look at the, the, the bigger picture in terms of how the narrative is always PSG is not tested in league uh and when it gets to the Champions League, it, it becomes a problem. We can't we can't use that excuse this year because they've literally been in the group of death. And if they can make it out of this group, like we're really thinking about a possible Champions League final run here. Like it's 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 more realistic this year 
than ever simply because of the group we've been in and how tested we've been. And it, it works better for us where we can we can learn how to struggle. We can learn how to be in difficult situations. And the team is growing with Tuchel. And uh, I think just overall, the being in this group is uh, is a blessing in disguise. Where at the beginning we didn't we weren't so confident, but it came out it came out pretty well for us. Yeah, it's by far the toughest Champions League group we've ever been in. in the Absolutely. Era. Yeah. And Eddie, yeah. I want to get your thoughts on sort of. I think there was this change, and I hate to use this cliche, but we're, we're going to use it for this. It's mentality. I feel like this team mentally has evolved from game one to game six. And it's not all of a sudden that the players changed. It's more that there's something just about the way that the players play. Yeah. And I think too many times we make these arguments about, well, they have to get this guy, this guy, and this guy and PSG don't have the quality or have the talent necessary, and I don't necessarily think that's true. And I had this argument with a bunch of people at the transfer window where it's like, it's not just getting guys. You have to change something about the way the team thinks, about the way the team is structured. And if you don't, what's eventually going to end up happening is you just feed guys into the same sort of bad mix. Yeah. And it just poisons everything around it, even if you get good players in. So, yeah. just I, I want you to kind of talk about what you've seen from their sort of collective mentalities over the last over the last three months in Champions League, because I think there's a discernible difference. Oh yeah, um, uh, culture. If you want to use the word culture or or whatever, but this team just found ways to lose ball games. Like it's big big match. They found ways to lose. Uh, whether it's self inflicted, ref, it just it never it never went PSG's way in a big time match or European match. Uh, but this year, I mean after the Liverpool game I at Anfield I thought, okay, it's same new coach, same same mentality, same it's it's just not gonna change until we got players that you know, that were from the Zlatan era or whatever that just couldn't win those big games. And, you know, Tuchel, I don't know if it's just Tuchel or it's Buffon, but that mentality began to change. Uh, I don't know. I, I think for me, after the, the Napoli game at home, um, where Di Maria somehow was able to, you know, we were able to walk away with a draw after he, you know, scored a magnificent goal. And usually that stuff doesn't happen. Like, a ball doesn't go in the net when we really need it to. Usually PSG lose that match, but somehow I think that was a tie. That was like the, the changing. Um, we saw yeah. when we were at Naples that we, we, we were able to get the first goal. And again, just a little mental mistake. It wasn't the end of the world, but a little mental mistake by Thiago Silva in fouling. And, and we were again just walking away with the draw, but we saw that those mental mistakes Usually happen in bunches in previous matches, but they were slowly decreasing. And then against, uh, Liverpool, we saw that, you know, they were mentally fit. And then once the game was over, we saw how much it meant to these guys to finally beat a big time European team in a match that was, was for all the marbles. If they didn't win this game, who knows if we're, 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 we're winning the group and we're heading to Europa League. Uh, but we saw at the end how much this meant to them. The guys were literally in tears because 
they never they've never they've never done this. They never won a game that they need to win. And so I think I think to me it's been the Tuchel's mentality. We see how he is with the players. He's hugging them. He's prepping. You know, he's pumping their tires. And it's just those little things that you know. And then I think Buffon too. He's been there, done that. And he's I think maybe he has that hunger, that last hurrah to try to win that Champions League. And I think it resonates with the players. So it's I think it's just the different variables. And to me, once they won that Liverpool match, and once they just they they went into Red Star and and dominated. They won it. They they didn't let Red Star hang around. They 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 did get we did get a scare when they when they made it two one. But they, you know they 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 went for the kill and they didn't let them you know they didn't let them back in. So I mean we've seen them this group mentally. You know sure we can say what they're how they're playing on the pitch, but mentally I think that's the biggest strides they've made uh, this season. Yeah, I think that. Uh, I want to agree with two things you said. I think the Di Maria goal was really important because they needed a break. Like, they needed they needed something to go right. And for so much of the first three games, there was just not enough going right for them. I don't really count that first Red Star game that much. They needed to win that game by a lot, and they did. But, like, from between the Liverpool and Napoli game, those first two games, you just you didn't feel like anything was going right. And it just felt like, at what point are you finally going to get a break? And when they finally got that break, I think it sort of was a relief because it gave them something to build on. And that second Napoli game was, I think, a really underrated, well-played game by PSG. In a game they really should have won. Yeah. Again, you don't make, Diego Silva doesn't make that mistake. They should win that game because Napoli had their moments, but PSG had pretty much weathered that storm. And it just sort of comes down to can you can you hold it on and can you not make the big mistake? And they didn't. And that leads to Liverpool where they were able to play 90 minutes. They had the one mistake from Di Maria, but it wasn't even really that much of a mistake. It just sort of was what it was. They just, they needed that. So they needed that game. They needed the Napoli game on the road. They needed to show they could get a point on the road. Then they got that big win at the Parc des Princes. And then in Red Star, Neymar plays with a pulled groin and he gets the job done for him. Like, you got guys playing hurt. You've got guys sacrificing. You've got Di Maria playing more defense than he's used to playing. And it's like that kind of, that kind of sacrifice and effort is really, I think, what distinguishes a team like, you know, a team that is have that has that Champions League ability from a team that doesn't. And for the first time, I think you see the glimpses of a team in PSG that can actually do it. Will they? I don't know. But they look like a team that can. And I think that's really the difference. Yeah, and I want, and I just wanted to add to that, uh, to y'all's Di Maria point. I think there's been a lot of that. There's been a lot of those moments, right? Like when you look at Real Madrid's one, uh, three, three, three season run uh, and winning the Champions League, it's, it's, you don't, you don't necessarily have to play your best, but you have to have moments where your big players step up and your, and your role players do something magnificent. And when you look at like the from a from a like a like a storybook perspective of the of their season and their Champions League season, particularly this season, 
you look at Di Maria's goal, you look at that Thomas Munier goal where he scored that goal in the in the first match against Liverpool and he kind of pointed to the crest. You look at Juan Bernat's goals, you look at the moment with uh, Thiago Silva and Marquinhos chest bumping. Like, I think that's something we haven't seen with PSG in, in all these years. It's like, when it's the Champions League, we just lose because we play bad. But this year, we've had a lot of those moments and it's something good, and it goes into their confidence, and may, hopefully we see those uh, in the knockout stages as well. Yeah, and by the way, just as we're watching this game, I think this is one of those where both teams are playing well. Like, yeah. this, just to interrupt for a second, Nantes are playing <laughs> yeah. very good defensively. Like, yeah, both teams yeah. are real compact defensively. They're not letting us get in at all. Yeah, yeah. And, and PSG are winning the ball back quickly. They're not really giving up much on the counter. And it's just like, this is why League Gun is difficult. Like, people talk about it being an easy, it's not an easy league to play in. Like, these teams are going to make you earn it. And Nantes right now are making PSG earn it. Can they keep that going for another 70 minutes? I don't know. But th- this is absolutely a test. And PSG are moving the ball well. It's not like they're not, you know, it's not like they're stagnating on the ball. They're making runs and trying to do stuff. But back to what we were talking about, PSG, then win the group of death on 11 points. Uh, Liverpool get second place with nine. Napoli finish third on nine points. Um, and PSG draw Manchester United. Initial thoughts on the draw. Now especially that Jose Mourinho is out the door and it's the happy Norwegian uh, <laughs> taking over. Can we, the, he's can just we talk about how I, weird... He's just happy to be there. You could look at his face. It's like, can you believe I have this job? Yeah, every, I saw every picture. He's like ecstatic. He's, he's so happy yeah. to have this job. It's, 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 yeah. great, it's great to see, actually. <laughs> yeah, I caught the ending of uh, uh, their match against Cardiff City, and that guy was just like, like you guys said, he, like he's happy to be there. He's applauding the the supporters there in the little section, and it's just like he has like the Kool Aid smile. Like I can't believe I have this job. <laughs> so I, yeah. <laughs> no, I, you got you got to enjoy that a little bit, if you, especially if you're a. It, it, even as a neutral, you just kind of have to enjoy that that kind of uh, that kind of heart, and it's going to bring something different to United. But just going back to initial thoughts, and yeah, let's just say initial thoughts. Let's not even go farther yeah. than that. John, your initial thoughts? Yeah, I, I don't think um, I don't think the the Mourinho firing changes much more than the simple fact that players are going to be more. Rejuvenated, which happens whether the coach was trash or good. Any type of change brings a new ambition to players. I think that's 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 um you know that's that's kind of uh, widely known. But and I've seen uh, everyone kind of mention this where it's like, look, we're on paper a better team than them. If if we want to evaluate from forwards to midfield, maybe in the midfield they have an advantage due to experience and the type of players and Pogba and Matic and these guys. But that that back line is 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 really weak. Like 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 no matter what back line they put out there, it's 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 really a liability for Manchester United in the Champions League, in the Premier League, in the Carabao Cup, or wherever game they play. That's their that's their weakest component uh, and. If I just look at it from that perspective, I'm confident as a PSG fan and and as, as for the players, like we have a, a pretty good draw. And then if you just take the Mourinho thing out out of the way, if you look at our past and the teams that we've drawn in the round of 16, uh, 
Barcelona, Real Madrid, and we finally get a, a team that it's not the toughest opponent, but they're still big enough team where they're going to challenge us and it's not going to be a cakewalk. So I like it for those reasons, but obviously the Mourinho things bring stories for journalists to write, but I, I still think we're the, 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 a clear favorite, and I'm confident in saying we're a clear favorite in this match, in these two legs, actually. I do too, and I, I think that there's an interesting dynamic that's going to be at play, because you feel like Manchester United are going to play a more open style than they maybe would have under Mourinho. But I'm not 100% sure that bodes well for them in this tie against a team like Paris Saint-Germain. Like, I think that's going to help them in the league. I think it's going to help them beat Cardiff and Watford and Brighton and Hove and all those, whatever those teams are, where, you know, Mourinho would would draw those games because his teams would set up defensively for some stupid reason. But... Against, you know, against those league, those English teams, they needed to be more expansive. But are you really going to go out there and try to run at PSG for 90 minutes? I, I don't know if that's... Like, Eddie, I think that plays into PSG's hands more yeah. than anything else. Yeah, no, it, it does play into their hands because if they're going to play more open, it just leaves them... It just leaves, uh, you know, for more passes to get through and... and it's just it's springs Mbappe, Neymar, and 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 it's just you're playing into their wheelhouse. And I think I read that they're not they don't have any plans on adding anybody in in January. So this is a squad that you know they're going to go with. They're not going to try to improve that back line. So you know I think it's just PSG's going to have to take advantage of of that weak back line that they have. And uh, you know Mourinho would make the game sloppy. That's the only worry I had is that Mourinho would. Would make a game sloppy, but I think PSG's—they're just too talented offensively, and and Manchester United just—they just have too many holes defensively. I mean, I saw what Liverpool did to them, and I—I I, I looked at the stat line. I didn't know they gave up 36 shots, and so <laughs> I, when I saw that, I was like, wow. And you know, you can make a managerial change, but that back line is still awful. And I think—I just think that PSG. I mean. We don't want to get Watch too what Mbappe does to this guy, by the way. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Yeah, that was filthy. That was filthy. Yeah. But yeah, to, Mark, to your point, uh, I, I think if, if you're, again, if you're looking at, if you take away Mourinho and all of the, all of that narrative, like, a mid-season change is what that is. <laughs> and that, that doesn't bode well for you when you're facing one of the top teams in Europe. Like, like if, if we just look at it from a minimal standpoint in that sense where Ooh, you're making, exactly. you're making a mid-season change in the middle, in the middle of the Champions League, like that's not going to work out for you. Like, at least I, I don't, I don't feel that it will for them. The PSG are putting the style points on right now. That's Raxler. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that kick flip. Yeah, that was, oh, that was hard. But like, yeah. But also, who's going to sign for a team when you have no idea who the manager is going to be? Yeah. Like, no. Think about, like, really. Who, what good, what good player are you going to get that's going to sign for the team again when they have no earthly clue who the manager is? Well, are they considering keeping this guy long term? Like, is that a possibility? No. The guy's been coaching so. in Norway for five years. <laughs> <laughs> like, no. I, I don't. <laughs> I don't know if they're just this arrogant that they'll just try to sell a player on playing for Manchester United. I don't know how much aura that has anymore, but you're right, Mark. I don't see any top player wanting to sign there without 
knowing who's the coach long term because he's, you know that they guy sign. is there for the specific reason to keep the players happy. That's what he's there for. Like he's not going to make the players do anything that they don't want to do. This is a this is a please stay with us, Paul Pogba. Please stay with us. We're going to give you a guy that's good, you're going to like. He's going to let you guys play how you want. He's he's probably not going to put too much of an imprint on what the club's going to do. Hey, and I might be wrong about that, but I I just look at it like I don't see it being anything but a, a way to get them into the top four, maybe to get the, to keep their sort of to keep them relevant this year, so that in the summer they can sort of rebuild and rebuild the house. But but if if like if, if they weren't from the reports I was reading, if they weren't willing to spend money with Mourinho, <laughs> I don't think they're gonna do it with this guy. <laughs> so when you when you talk about reinforcement, I don't see it happening. Yes, and I also go back to the fact that PSG have more A players than United did. United have yeah. arguably two A players. PSG have about five or six. Yeah. So that makes a difference. It made a difference in the Real Madrid draw last year. PSG had five f- about five A players. Real Madrid have about nine. It makes a difference. Right. You know, yeah. in the in the Champions League, skill usually wins out in the end. That's just you know that's just sort of how it is. Um, yeah. Let's, let's, all right, so we won't do predictions yet. We're too far out. Um, what about just let's talk about the individual performances for a minute. Good pass. Oh, give me the oh Cavani. Got to touch on that. Um. Talk about the individual performances. Who's been your first half MVP so far? Uh, I'll start it off. Um, I'll go with Neymar. I mean, the guy's playing a new playmaker role, and, and he's just he's just taking off now. Like we're seeing, you know, a more. I think last year it was. I think we saw like a robotic Neymar. I don't know if that makes sense. It's just with Tuchel, he's showing. I think he's believing in whatever he, whatever he's preaching, and you know he he went from the left wing, you know, more to the, down the middle, and you know, like our like we see when he doesn't play, how much our our offense is impacted. And I'm just gonna go with Neymar just because you know, we like I said, we've seen how he our, our offense is when he's not in the lineup. Yeah, you see how it is tonight. It's been okay, but Cavani like, didn't even touch the ball. I know. Oh <laughs> I was mad because I thought it was a terrible first touch, but he didn't even touch the ball. <laughs> yeah, I I would agree. I think it's clear, and I, I talked about that stat where PSG are what um twenty nine oh and twenty nine oh and two when Neymar scores in in games or something like that. Like that's a that ooh that's an MVP quality player. He he plays, you win. You know what I mean? Like that. And I think that's, that's pretty much what you have to look at. I would say honorable mentions, Mbappe has been fantastic. Verratti is having a comeback year. Um, and yeah, Thiago Silva is having his best year, I think, in the last, of the last three. This is, I think, his best year. Yeah, Silva, Silva's having, uh, one of those, uh, one of those years for me, but I would go with Marquinhos, uh, just simply because of, He's been, he's been so flexible and reliable and coming in from a World Cup where you didn't play, you know, you were behind Silva and, and Jao Miranda and he didn't really see that much action in the World Cup and him not complaining or pouting or any of that because he played most of those World Cup qualifiers for Brazil and, uh, and then coming in 
a new coach who's pretty much telling you, like, hey, you're not going to be playing center back these first couple of matches. I'm going to need you to play in this defensive midfield role. In those first couple of matches, you know, he, he did okay. Like, he, he, he didn't he, – he held it down while Verratti was, was out. But, I mean, we've seen him these past couple of matches, man. He's been phenomenal. His passes are getting better. But he's, like, literally being that destroyer that we want. And the only hesitation is that he's not a true midfield player. But uh, I think that's one of those things. I don't know who was bringing it up. Or did somebody say it on a podcast or tweeted it? But they were talking about how he outplayed Gregory Van de Will and, and Serge Aurier under those Laurent Blanc days. And now he's pretty much taken Rabio's position. And he's just he's just very, like, flexible. He can play anywhere uh, from the midfield and back. And I think it also speaks on his selflessness. And he's willing to do whatever for the team. And that's why a lot of people like Marquinhos. And I think his numbers back it up as well. I, I do, too. I think there's been a lot of positives from Marquinhos. And I think the most yeah. positive thing is that he's been able to sacrifice for this team, yeah. and he's given them this thing that you... And it's very... It's always good when you discover something that you didn't know. And I think we did not know that Marquinhos really had this in him. And now yeah. that we do, I think that it, it gives them a dynamic where they yeah, they don't have to panic in the transfer window. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think absolutely. that's key because if you if Marquinhos couldn't do this and you're stuck with Verratti and Draxler, that's a problem. And you've got to at that point you do have to sort of drastically overspend. So I think they I think Marquinhos has helped out in that and he's given Tuchel a sort of flexibility uh, in what he wants to do that has allowed this team to flourish in other ways is not try to get a counter here. Again, not holding up well. This is a tough team. Mm-hmm. To League on teams are tough to play. Um, who's disappointed you this year, John? Disappointment. Huh. Besides uh, Adrian Rabio, he doesn't count. Besides him, <laughs> who's your disappointment? Yeah, we can't count Rabio. I would have to say, um, and, and it, this might not be a fair estimation, just because I'm looking at the the, the, the main guys, and I've been I've been extremely impressed with uh, the, the the usual suspects per se. But uh, in terms of uh, uh, Christopher and Kunku, uh, I've watched them the, the 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 chances that he's gotten, and where we kind of predicted his his maturation process and where he would be. And, and that last match he played in uh, against U.S. Orleans, yeah, he got he got into spaces and, and created some chances. But I think, uh, you know, just going back to we don't know what his best position is. And I'm afraid that's going to be a problem for him uh, where we try to get game time for him because he's a phenomenal player. He can clearly score goals, but it's like, what can, what's your best position? It's, it's okay to be good at, at a lot of things, but what are you at, at your best? And I, I think, uh, in, in the, in the glimpses we've seen of him this year, he hasn't put on one of those performances like he was doing last year. So that would be my, my, my guy who hasn't really impressed me this year. Yeah. Um, I would say, actually, let me go to Eddie first. I want to hear what Eddie has to say yeah. on this one. Uh, I'm going to go with, uh, I know, I know it's, he's oh. still young. He's still young. And it's not, I mean, it's not a full-on disappointment, but Tim Weah, I mean, he, he, Tuchel came in with this, you know, I guess a, not a, not, agenda's the wrong word, but, you know, he's a guy that's used to giving youth players a chance. And, you know, we, and Tim Weah was, you know, the talk of the town last year. And I thought, you know, I, we would see him take that jump 
um, behind Cavani. And, you know, just, he'll get the cup games, he'll get a couple of league on games, but, you know, he's kind of, I mean, I think, I guess that's why they brought in Chupa Moltang. But, uh, you know, he's kind of disappeared for a little bit. And that's just, I was hoping to just see him take another, you know, another step in his development. I mean, there's now talks of loaning him out. I don't know where to another French team. I, I'm not sure if it was Montpellier. Oh, Strasbourg. Yeah, Strasbourg. Yeah, that's the team. Um, but yeah, now it's just talks of him blowing him out for the rest of the year so he can get some playing time. But, um, you know, it's not just a disappointment, but if I had to pick. That's a penalty, you know, by the way. <laughs> no, I don't know if you just saw yeah, it. That's he, a penalty. Yeah, on Cavani. That's yeah. absolutely a penalty. He backs, I mean, he, he gets none of the ball. He backs into him. Like, I hope in this, this injury timeout, they at least take a look at that. I, they won't, but... Well, he tried to, like, subtly, like, push him back, and maybe the referee didn't have a good viewpoint there, but, yeah. No, that's like, a clear, that's that. a clear... To me, that's clear, because you bump into the guy right on the box. You bump into him, and you prevent him from playing the ball. Oh, well, um... What, um, I've heard this name come up a bunch of times. Presnel Kimpembe. I was just about to bring that up too. Yeah, he's it, it. It hasn't been his best season, and I think it. I'm trying to figure out when it really started. It might have been those friendly matches where he started for Varane, and it kind of you know trickled down, trickled into his PSG performances. What do you guys think is wrong? Because I have a, I have a theory, but I, I I'm not sure what what it is. But I do have a theory. What do you guys think is sort of affecting him right now? I don't know. I, the only thing I could, you know, just off the whim think of is maybe winning the World Cup. And he's one of those electric players where he has a lot of star power in him, where it's like it maybe that's getting into his head. Like what what I don't know what exactly it could be, but like maybe he's overthinking things because he feels like he's at a certain level World Cup winner and, and you know, getting continuous call-ups to the French national team and all these things. And, he's, you know, I don't know. Tuchel continues to play him because, he, he, you know, he shows the ability. We know how, how great he is, but I, I can't pinpoint. What, 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 do you, what is your theory? Eddie, I want to hear yours before I go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to agree with, with John. I think, I mean, winning the World Cup maybe might have gone, might have gone to his head a little bit. Um, I think I, I would say this is his second full season with the team. So maybe um, I think maybe just... You know, we see it in other sports, sophomore slump. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, but, you know, I, I agree with John. It's just maybe just, you know, winning the World Cup at a young age. Oh, and Draxler. Ooh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, man. That, no, that a, there's a lot of skill going on in this game. Not Jesus. a lot of goal scoring, but there's a lot of skill. Oh, oh, none of them there either. Uh, this is one of those where they're going to make us win this game. There's going to be no bailout here tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Mbappe just got kicked in the leg. But you know what I think it is? I think what's happened is what, since they've sort of gone to this back three kind of look, I think what's been happening is that Kimpembe has been further up the field. And I think he's not that good further up the field, especially with the ball at his feet. I don't think he's a great passer yet. And I think a lot of his issues have come from his inability to sort of pass out of the back in consistent ways. So I'm looking at it and I'm saying, I think he's maybe more comfortable in that back two set where he can sort of, you know, be a little more physical and not as technical. I think 
him trying to be as technical as he's trying to be in this sort of PSG system, I'm not sure that suits him well. Like, I don't necessarily see him as a technical center back. I think he needs to be more physical and central. And, like, I don't, I think it's more of a positional thing. Honestly, I don't know what you guys think of that, but I kind of think it's a positional thing. Yeah, but his, his skill set says that he's that physical, imposing, uh, type of center back, but his ambition is he wants to be adventurous and yeah. maybe, like, I don't know, like, it's like, uh, it's like, a David Luiz syndrome where he wants to be this great ball passer and play long balls and, and play in the midfield, but his his best skill set, it is being that imposing uh, center back in the middle and being physical, but he always wants to play up the field. It's like, I don't know if, if, if the, the three center back, yeah, that, that would make him play a little bit further up, but like he, he wants to be adventurous, and I, I don't think that's that's his best asset. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, an example, I think what you said, Mark, where he's adventurous up the field and he can get caught sometimes is the insignia goal that he, that, that he, I don't know if he was caught napping. No, that, then, the, the, you know, the, that, that was, I think, a tactical thing where they weren't playing out to the wings at all. They were giving a lot of wing space and he just wasn't aware of insignia behind him. So like, he's not great in that sort of, the, he, he's good, I think, with the game in front of him. Uh-huh. I'm not sure he's great yet with the game at his side or at his back. Like, I don't think uh-huh. he has those Silva-like instincts where he can sort of feel pressure and feel, you know, what needs to get taken care of. So when you put him on an island defensively, I'm, he's, he's inconsistent, let's put it like that. Yeah. Um, what, are the odds that, what are the odds that Cavani's going to be the first player subbed off here? Um, I... I I don't know what they need. They, it's not like they need to do much more than they've done. Like, they're, they're playing fine. It's just Nantes are really not attempting to play <laughs> all that much. So it's, just like, well, it's, it's, it's just that, like, I don't see Di Maria, like, taking on the, the responsibility of being the playmaker, per se. So I would like for that to be Mbappe, who would try to get more into their box and then get that final that final touch in there rather than just trying to play it through to Cavani where he missed a, he missed a, the ball and his, his touches haven't been the best so far. Yeah. Well, also, it, it, Neymar and Mbappe don't necessarily play together well without Neymar involved. Yeah, yeah, and that's a good I, point. I'd rather, I'd rather Diaby making... I'm sorry, I'd rather Freudian slip. I'd rather Mbappe make runs off the shoulder a little bit more right now. And it's just, like, not, it's too predictable. Not have it figured out. Like, they know yeah, yeah. where to be in the box. They, there's no dangerous runs coming in. There's no real threat in the air. And it's just, they, they've kept everything in front of them really well. And it's just, they have yeah. to, they have to play a few more long balls than they have, too. Yeah, they're not allowing anything in the middle, so if, if the PSG are going to be forced to play out wide, maybe you bring in a Diaby. Yeah. You know, to yeah. play those crosses because Munier isn't really getting in there putting any crosses and either Bernard, so. Yeah, what, what about Munier? He's been interesting. I want to talk about him a little bit. There's been games where he's just not been very good. And he's had some, he's had his usual, you know, big goals. And, like, has he been good enough to, 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 like, make it into the starting 11 for Champions League? Or is it just going to be Di Maria on that wing and we'll just make it work? 
I think he's 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 you know like you said he's played well in some matches and then 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 there's some where he's just either been invisible or or not effective enough. But you know I'm. My God, right, he's got to get the card go. for this. He's sorry, he's got to get yeah, the card yeah, for no, this. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Jeez, yeah, card. come on. Yeah. He's got to get the card for this. I, yeah, that that's that's just that's just swinging at the guy. I I don't. There's, but yeah, back to Munier. Yeah, yeah. No, he's a. I think I think they'll. I think they can make it work. I mean. The good option is that they do have Di Maria to go with um, if it's not working. So they have, you know, a plan B. Um, but I, I'd stick it I'd stick it out with Mooney in these big matches. Yeah, I mean, he, he, although, again, I just think there's been moments where he's struggled. And I yeah, think, I, think, I think he started out the season well and kind of held down the fort while Alves wasn't, uh, wasn't fit. And... I, I, I'm maybe thinking he, he's one of those guys who is probably happy or Tuku is happy that Alves is back where Munia can get some rest because, you know, he, he, they went deep into the World Cup with Belgium. And, um, you know, he, he's made a lot of mental mistakes, which is something that we don't expect from him is, is why I'm a little worried. Yeah, I think they need Alves in this game too. Yeah. yeah. What, Creativity what, in this game, what, yeah. What do you think his role is going to be going forward into the second half of the season? I think he's gonna be the super sub. I think, or one of the, you know, one of the super subs. I think if some, you know, he's, oh, versi- he's versatile. Oh. Are they gonna call? Yeah, him no, he's a, Yeah, they got opened up there. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. No, he's a. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, no, his versatility. You know, he can play the wing back. He can play the uh, the full back position. He can play up the. Up the field, as we saw with Liverpool against Liverpool with Neymar. So, I think he's probably going to be that super sub role that gets those last twenty to thirty minutes of I, every match. Yeah, I, I think they need him in this this these type of games too because he's just a good enough passer to to open some things. He's a creative enough passer in the in, that he can open the game up a little bit in a way that Munier, like Munier, is not really a creative passer. Like he just he's a good passer when he gets when he gets ahead of steam, but he's not going to kind of sit there and unlock the defense. Like, they need to just make a couple more unlocking passes and just get, like, not off of them right now, because Sal is playing a hell of a game. Like, he's not scoring, but he's playing a hell of a physical game. Like, you just see that, what he did to Kimpembe right there? You guys there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's, oh, he's, yeah. yeah he's, he's hounding him. He's hounding, yeah. And that's he's one of my, good season. that's one of my things I don't like what Kipembe does. That adventurous where he feels like he can take on someone, he should just pass the ball along. <laughs> yeah, uh, so we finished the first half nil-nil. Nantes are giving it a heck of a, a heck of a game. They really are. Yeah, this is a dog yeah. fight. Is, yeah. Alright, um, so, closing thoughts here about the first half of the season, and what are you guys looking forward to in the second half? Let's start with Eddie. Uh, closing thought is that Tuchel is the right guy for this for this club. I mean, he was dealt a like I said, he was dealt a difficult deck. He still weathered the storm. He was handed a the group of deaths. He weathered that, and you know we see the players. You know we we see videos of him. You know just. Be, you know, being one of one of the players, he, he knows when to bring down the hammer. You know, he, he can be both. You know, he's a 
he's a player friendly coach, but you know he can be a hard ass as well. So he's a he's you know he's the best of both worlds. And what I'm looking forward to in January and and you know just the January transfer window and see what's gonna happen in that. You know, if we can finally address that defensive midfield, and like you guys said, this is an open Champions League. For you know, it's up for anyone to take. So hopefully, you know, they can address that need and, and then proceed forward. John. Yeah, I've I've, I've been uh, extremely impressed with this season. Uh, this is one of the more comfortable. <laughs> excuse me, one of the more comfortable and less stressful uh, January. Uh, winter breaks um, that we've had in the football season, particularly as a PSG supporter. Just our positioning in the league, our positioning in the Champions League, uh, like Eddie said, I think uh, Tuchel has been one of, like when we mentioned MVPs earlier, that, that could have been uh, one of the people I mentioned, just uh, the MVP of, of the of the first half so far, just the, the cards he's been dealt with so far and, and, and how, he's, how he's just handled it, like at, a, at a, his first year, like it's it, it's really... You know, you, you can't really lessen it to just being something that he has in him. I think it, it, it go it, it, um, it, it uh, you have to credit it to how he's really been uh, confident within himself, and you can tell that it's resonating with the entire team. And uh, you know, I'm excited to see what happens uh, in, in in the second half of the season. But I remember one of our first podcasts we did at the beginning of the season, we kind of were talking about expectations for the year and my, one of my expectations and challenges was for Neymar to kind of grab a hold of the team in terms of like understanding like this is his team we move as he's as he moves we go as he goes and I think this year this the first half of the season he's really taken a, a, another level to, uh, to his game where he's dictating the narrative of what PSG is and whether that comes with the backlash of the placating or whatever this is Neymar's team and he's grabbed a hold of, of, of everything. He's understood what it is to play uh, in France because that's that's an entire thing within itself and what comes with that with the media. And he's, he's done really well uh, this year, and I hope that continues into the second second half because we're going to need him more than anybody to, to win the Champions League if we go that far. Yeah, I, I think that's all I think that's all spot on. And I, I just want to add to the end of it, I think that they need this break. I think they need a few days off. Everyone needs a few days off. It's been a mentally stressful three months in the Champions League, and I think it's starting to affect them in the league. I think that it's hard for them to bring that energy consistently because they've drained it so much in these major Champions League games. And they're going to have to get some depth. They're going to have to sign some guys just to give them some league and depth so that they can keep up some sort of form and momentum. And the key to the second half is can Neymar stay healthy? I think it's clear that with Neymar healthy, or even with him at 90%, PSG are Champions League contenders. They are a clear Champions League contender, probably one of the four favorites to win it. Okay. If he's going to spend the rest of this year with a nagging groin injury or some sort of effect from that, this is going to be tough. Because it's clear that they're just not the same team offensively without him. They're not as unpredictable. And if for better and worse, and I'd say for better, he's the guy that makes this team work. 
And when he's not there, they're going to struggle. Like they're struggling a little bit in this game, not getting the, not getting shots on target, not opening that defense up enough. We've seen it against Bordeaux. We've seen it against Strasbourg. Saw it against Orleans a bit. So they're going to need to be healthy. They're going to have to stay healthy. And I think if they can do that and continue to grow what they want from Tuchel, I think they're a Champions League contender. They're probably going to win the league. <coughs> Lyon's really the only challenger, and I don't think Lyon are consistent enough. So PSG will win the league. Uh, the Cups, I'm not so sure about. They have a lot of games. They may have to sacrifice a little bit and take some risks in those games. But I'll say it's any, if for nothing else, this is going to be a really fun, interesting next three, four months of the season. And you can follow the next three, four months of the season and all of PSG's season, probably, on PSG Talk. We are the number one news and opinion site for Paris Saint-Germain in English. We have a large group of contributors and writers. And um, since it is our last show of 2018, we'll be back in 2019 with coverage of, I believe, the Coupe de France, Coupe de la Ligue, and the start of the new year in Ligue 1. Um, so with that being said, I'd like to thank John Olangi, Eduardo Razo, who are with me today. But I would also like to thank all the contributors that we have on the um, that we have in the family. So I'd like to thank Guillaume Delapore. Um, I would like to thank Matt Gooding, also known as PSG Tourist. I'd like to thank our. Um, I'd like to thank um, Mel Brennan, who has joined us this year. Listen to the show I did with him; it's fantastic. James Teague. Uh, David Wood, also known as Munierist, used to be known as Munierist. I think he's now Poppy St. Germain on Twitter. Um, I'd like to thank, uh, obviously our, our, uh, our Don, our leader, our fearless leader, um, PSG Talk's own Ed. Um, he's had a fun year this year. Um, I, I know he's a very private person, so I'm not going to mention too much of the excitement that's going on in his life. But let's just say everybody should offer him a congratulations. Um, I'm trying to think, is there anybody else I'm missing here? Uh, Terry. Yeah, uh, Terry. Terry Filo, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Also a new contributor. He's been great. Um, we're just thankful for all of them. Um, and we're most importantly thankful to you, the listeners, who have grown PSG Talk. Um, just taken our little online blog. and made it into something more, made it into something more substantial, um, have given us the ability to sort of give you different projects. You followed us along with those, the World Cup project, my Neymar project, uh, Guillaume and David's uh, work with Qatar, all the articles that John and Eddie write. Um, it's been a really good year, I think, for our site and for PSG and for the growth of the club and its popularity. And I just feel like at the end of the year, we want to say thank you to everybody. Um, have a happy holiday season and a healthy and prosperous new year. You guys want to add anything before I go into some of the plugs? Uh, just like, like you said, we're like, um, 
you know, we went from a small, tiny blog, I guess, to having, like, Jonathan Johnson on the podcast. You had Amber Godelin, and you have our, you had uh, ESPN's Craig Burnley, you know, Nick not name our blog, Yay. but he kind of meant, you know, he mentioned us, so it's been a fun, you know, we, <laughs> we've, I guess we've gone a little bit mainstream here, but, you know, we've, we've, grown, we've grown from a small podcast slash blog to, you know, having wonderful guests, um, you know, them taking time out of their busy schedule and then, you know, us being mentioned on TNE pretty much. Yeah, we, we got mentioned on ESPN Plus, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's ESPN, right? <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I just want to thank everybody who contributes and everybody on the site. I've, I've, you know, I always kind of measure the work I do depending on knowing that you guys are reading and other people are reading and they're listening to what we're doing. And obviously I think the coolest part for me is like in this new PSG era with Neymar and Mbappe, there's a lot of eyes on PSG. And the coolest part is that we get to like cover it and talk about it and write about it. And people are actually reading and listening to it. I think that's the coolest part. And it's very much appreciated. Absolutely. And on that note, um, I, I'm going to put the plugs at the beginning of the show. So, um, for the last time in 2018, for Eduardo Razo and John Alangi, this has been PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon saying au revoir for now. <laughs>